Good morning. How y'all doing today? Happy Labor Day weekend. Um, anybody here stay up late last night and watch the Badger game? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just like kind of like just a depressed moan throughout. Yeah, yeah. Totally not worth it. I should have slept more. Um, my name is John Anderson. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Door Creek. It's great to be with you uh, this weekend, this morning. Uh, this week is our fifth week in our five-part series called Ready the House. And uh, this series has been all about how we, the people, are the church. And uh, while we're about to move into some really cool new space in just a couple weeks, and it is some cool new space. Have you guys been over there at all? Yes, a little bit, like three of you. Cool, you should go. It's neat. The cafe is open today. I'm not sure if Mark said that, but you know, check that out before you leave today. Um, but despite the fact that our space is cool, it should never define us. It should never drive what we do. And so this series has been about reminding us of what is our mission? Who are we as a church? What has God called us to do? And how can we use our space to help us better accomplish our mission? And so RD's talked about that. Mark's talked about that. And that's what I get to talk about as well today. Uh, now, a couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Mark and Pastor Alex G. had a conversation and uh, if you were not here, or if you haven't listened or watched that, I highly recommend uh, that you go online, go to our website, and check that out, because it is excellent. Uh, but since that time, I've actually gotten a number of emails and had a number of conversations myself. And people have all been asking essentially the same question, and it's been this. How can I, or how can they, stand in the gap? What can they do about some of the injustices that are taking place in our community? And so today, I'm, I'm really excited because we're going to get really practical. We're going to basically talk about how we can roll up our sleeves, serve together, and by God's grace and to His glory, see change happen in our community. Uh, but before we get to all that, let me just start off with a story. Uh, once upon a time, there was a small town built on the edge of a large river. And one day, uh, the townspeople looked out over the river, and there, floating down the river, were four people in inner tubes who were clearly injured. Uh, their, their clothes were tattered, their bodies were covered in bruises and cuts. And so they ran down to the shoreline and quickly pulled the people in, and uh, they bandaged their wounds, they, they gave them new clothes, places to stay until they healed, and then after a time, kind of sent them on their way. And then a short time later, the same thing happened again, and the town once again responded and cared for the people who were coming down the river. But over time, more and more people were starting to float down the river with the same injuries and the same problem. And so there was a group of people in the town who started to wonder, where are all these people coming from? What is the source of this problem? And is there anything we can do about it? So they packed their bags, and a group of them traveled upriver to figure out what was the source of, of this problem and to hopefully take action. Now, uh, in this story, the initial response of the town people is an example of giving generous and compassionate care. And the later response, the group that went upriver to, do, to find the source of the problem and do something about it, is an example of doing justice. Doing justice is about going to the source of a problem and trying to do work to, to fix it, to set things right. And uh, throughout Scripture, we see both both things for Christ followers. We're called to do both. We're called to provide generous, compassionate care, and we're called to do justice. And today we're going to be focusing on the latter. What does it mean to do justice? What does it look like in our day-to-day -day lives if we're living obediently to this? Now, I need to also start off here by just kind of calling out a potential elephant in the room, and it's this. 
that I am not uh, the best person to talk about their experience with injustice. Um, I'm white. Surprise, surprise. I'm male. I'm middle class. Uh, I had the opportunity to go to college. And really, largely because of the family I was born into and the culture that I grew up in, I've had a lot of advantages. And it's important that I just say that. Uh, But it's also important that we never think that the only people who should care about justice are those who are victims of injustice. For all of us who are Christ followers, this is an important issue for us to wrestle with and try to figure out what God is calling us to because the Bible has a lot to say about the topic of justice. Now, we're going to go through Scripture today and a lot of it, and, so, uh, and we're going to be hopping around a bit. So instead of trying to have you like flip your Bibles constantly and um, give your fingers a cramp or you know, use your phone and get confused, we're just going to put the, screen, the words up on the screen. So uh, let's start off by just looking at God's character. Uh, one of God's defining characteristics, according to, uh, to Tim Keller in his book, Generous Justice, is justice, right? And he describes it this way in his book, that if we were to meet God and he were to introduce himself, much like we might introduce ourselves, where I'd say like, yeah, my name is John, I'd tell you my name, uh, I'm a pastor, I've got, I'm married to a couple kids, live in Monona, you know, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. If God were to introduce himself, one of the first things that he'd say is, I care about justice. Now, to help make that point and just kind of show you this, I want to show you just a couple of the many, many, many verses in scripture that reveal God's heart and passion justice. So we're just going to kind of fly through these. So Psalm 33.5 says this, The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Or this next one, Psalm 146.7-9, describes how God wants to be moving and working in the world, where his heart is at. He, that being God, upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Or in Luke chapter 4, this is some of Jesus' words describing himself as he's quoting from Isaiah. Verses 18 and 19, it says this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me he, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so the question quickly becomes, if God cares this much about justice, if he's passionate about justice, and we are called to follow him, then what does that mean for how we live our lives? What does that mean practically, right, throughout our daily lives? Now, the prophet Micah uh, famously kind of summed up the essence of a life of obedience this way. In Micah 6, 8, he says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. But what does it mean to act justly, right? It's so important that we define our terms here so we know exactly what it is that God is calling us to. Um, The word justice appears 130 times uh, in the NIV translation. And pretty simply, it just means this, is that 
we treat each other justly, fairly, equitably. Uh, and the, biblically speaking, a fully just society is described this way, where things are in right relationship, right relationship with the Creator, right relationship with one another, and right relationship with the creation. And the word to describe this rightness uh, is a word that you may be familiar with. It may be one of the few Hebrew words that you know. And it's the word shalom. And so doing justice is about bringing shalom into our families, into our neighborhoods, into our greater communities, into the world around us. It's bringing things into right relationship with one another. And the process of doing justice is about going to the source of the problem and then working to set things right. And while we see pretty quickly uh, through Scripture that justice is for all people, this is something that God cares about for all of us, we also see this pattern, that God shows a particular concern for groups of people who struggle to care for themselves, who may not have a voice in the society. In the Old Testament, God even judged the nation of Israel based on how well they cared for the least among them. See this in Deuteronomy uh, 24.17, this command. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. And, and so over and over again, you start to see this pattern as you kind of study justice throughout Scripture. You see this pattern of these groups of people that kind of come up and lumps together, lump together. It's the widow the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor, because they represent the most vulnerable in their society. And I mention that in particular because there's amazing uh, consistencies with our society today too, right? It's still kind of the same groups. The widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor continue to struggle to have a voice to succeed and do well in our world. And you might also add um, like single parents or the elderly or certain ethnic groups or the homeless, etc., etc. And, and look at these verses again, uh, just at, towards the end. What is the motivation? What motivation does God use to ask his people to live justly? His motivation is that he's reminding them of the work that he's already done, the saving work that he's done by his grace, right? They were slaves. He took them out, not because of anything they did, but just because he loved them, and by his grace, he saved them. And so because of that, because of his grace, he's asking them to, in turn, give grace to others. And we see this kind of unusual pairing. And I say unusual, um, not because it's unusual in Scripture, but because it's kind of unusual in our Christian culture today. We see this pairing of grace leading to justice. So when the people of God really experience grace, it naturally leads to doing justice. And for those of us here who are followers of Christ, this is our story too. We too are slaves to sin, but we've been set free because of Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. And so we too are then called to do justice. And as we experience grace it naturally leads to doing justice. And as we do justice, it kind of points back to the fact that we have an authentic, that we have a real saving relationship with Christ. Does that make sense? This next part, this is, this is so important. I want you to catch this. Doing justice is not meant to be an optional activity for our already packed calendars. <laughs> Doing justice is meant to be a lifestyle that points back to an authentic relationship with Christ. 
James uh, says it this way in his second chapter, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a a brother or sister is without clothes and, and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Now to be clear here, neither James nor I are trying to say that works save us. But know rather that the good works that we do provide evidence to the authentic saving relationship that we have with Christ. And not only that, but when we do justice and combine it with proclamation of God's word, it provides this powerful witness of God's love to the world around us. When people see that, they notice and they want part of it. Here's one example of the early church as they were living this out. And as they were living this out, people were witnessing how they were living and people wanted to join in on what was going on. And when you see this, you can see why. In Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32, here's a snapshot of how the early church was living. All the believers were one in heart and mind. So there's great unity amongst them. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had, which is just as countercultural then as it would be now. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person's among them. I mean, right? Like, if you saw that happening in a group of people, you'd be like, I don't know what that is. I don't know what they teach. I don't even know if I care. I just want to be part of that. That's what's happening here in the early church. And really, since the the birth of the church, we here at Door Creek have been part of a rich history of doing justice, of starting schools and hospitals, of fighting slavery, of joining in on the civil rights movement. And so the question becomes, what does God have for us now in this season of our church? Now, when we take time to notice the brokenness of the world around us, and all you got to do is just like open up the, the newspaper in the morning, right? If you get that, and just I did that this morning, and you know, within like just the cover of the paper, really, suddenly you notice all the number of things that are going on in the world, and it can be quickly overwhelming and even debilitating. And there are so many needs around us. There's so many good things that we could be doing and maybe even you you feel like we should be doing that it's just, you feel overwhelmed. You feel tired just thinking about it. And sometimes when we have too many options, it just creates confusion and leads to inaction. Uh, Let me give an illustration that, uh, it's just kind of a silly illustration, but it can help make my point. Uh, Not too long ago, uh, my wife asked me to to run to the grocery store and just pick up a couple things, uh, including peanut butter. And I grocery shop sometimes, but at this point it had been a long time since I'd been in the grocery store, and I had forgotten how overwhelming it is to pick out peanut butter. Now, 
there should be really just two choices, right? Creamy or chunky. And the right choice is? Chunky. Amen. Yes. Creamy. No, go home. Uh, no, it's good to have you here. Stay here. Uh, but, you know, th- that's not the case. So I, I kind of take my basket and I get to the aisle and all of a sudden I am presented with a sea of peanut butter options. There's organic and local and sugar-free and salt-free and the kind you have to stir and the kind you don't have to stir and the big containers and the little containers and the glass and the plastic and the brand name and the off-brand and the kind that has the jelly already mixed in. Nasty. So why does that product exist? Ugh. And I remember, this is a true story, I remember just standing there for way too long, just kind of like, peanut butter. <laughs> and this was not an important decision. This was just peanut butter, and yet I had a hard time making a choice because I had too many options. And this, for us, of how we're going to serve in the city is an important choice. And so this is why it's been uh, my focus and why we've had a process for the last several months where I've been working with other staff and working really with many of you to prayerfully try to determine what is God calling us to? What should be our focus as a church for how we're going to serve outside the walls and hopefully bless our community to the glory of God? And I'm excited to, to announce, and, and this has kind of been teased. Mark said this last week in the message, uh, and Kara said it on the video today. But we're going to be focusing our efforts on different things that are working to close the achievement gap throughout our county. Now, uh, when I say that, some of you have an immediate understanding of what that means because you're in education and this is just part of the world you live in. I'm guessing for most of us, this is a term that either it just creates confusion or you, just, you don't know what, it's, what I'm talking about. So let me explain. The achievement gap that I'm talking about, and I think this is the way it's generally understood, is the gap in educational success for minority students, primarily African American, and the Caucasian students throughout our county. And I want to note this, and this is so important. This is not just a City of Madison challenge. This is a countywide challenge. And I say that because I recognize that we all don't live here and Mad- are from Madison, right? We're, we're kind of a regional church. People are coming from all over the place, and that's great. And this challenge exists in all of our communities. Um, in a recent study done called the Race to Equity, there was research done um, that was, in their words, and see if you can follow along with this, to, the study was done to explore, measure, and analyze the extent and patter, pattern of racial disparities on key well-being and outcome measures between African Americans and whites in Dane County. Got that? So basically the study was, was done to try to determine is there a gap between the quality of life for African Americans and Caucasians? And if so, what is the extent of that gap? And to some degree, what are the causes of that gap? And the driving question behind their study was this. Could a place as prosperous, resourceful, and progressive as Dane County also be home to one of the most profound, pervasive, and persistent racial disparities in the country? And sadly, what they found was a resounding yes. Now, I want to just share with you a few of the things that they discovered. And I want to just tell you right off the the top that as we go through some of these statistics, it can feel a bit overwhelming. It can feel like, oh, what? But this gives us a sense of some of the realities that are happening in our county right now. So number one, 54% of African Americans live below the poverty line versus 8.7% of Caucasians in Dane County. Number two, the median household income for African Americans was in 2011 20,664 
verses 63,673 for Caucasians. This is a big gap. In 2011, again, 48% of third grade African American students were not proficient at reading versus 11% of third grade Caucasian students. Again, a big gap. Number four, in 2011, 47.7% of African American eighth graders were found not proficient at math versus 11% of Caucasian students. Number five, African American students, the graduation rate was right at about 50% versus 85% for Caucasian students. And this last one, I think I want to just spend a little time there because this one I think is the most striking. 74% of Dane County black children live below the poverty line versus 5.5% of Caucasian children. And just to give that a little context, I also put up the national and statewide statistics. So nationally, the statistics are 39.4% for African American versus 13.5% for Caucasian And if you kind of zoom in, but just keep it a little broader and just look at the state of Wisconsin, it's 49% for African American and 11.7% for Caucasian. And in case you're just kind of getting lost in the numbers, the summary is this is a huge gap. And it's far bigger in our county than even our state or our nation. And what this study did is it revealed what many people know from their own life experience. That race and poverty are profoundly intertwined here in Dane County. And that this county, sadly, is not a great place for the majority, not all, but the majority of African American and many other minority kids to grow up. And the educational and the quality of gap, life gaps that exist in our county are some of the widest in the entire nation. And we need to call this what it is. This is a deep injustice taking place in our backyards. And like all injustices, the achievement gap is an incredibly complex one. There are no simple answers or easy fixes. And there are a ton of great people doing great work at all kinds of levels, I'm sure including many of you in this room, trying to eradicate and fix this problem. But sadly, over time, it continues to persist and, in fact, in many cases, has gotten worse. But this is where I get excited because the challenge of closing the achievement gap is beyond what any of us as individuals or even as a group can do. We cannot right this wrong. But we serve a creator God who spoke all things into existence and he loves with an equal love every kid, every adult, every ethnic group, every community with an infinite love beyond what we can comprehend. And there is no just injustice greater than him. And his primary way of working in the world is through his people. And so here's where I want to just get really practical with y'all. There's three things that I want to encourage you and challenge you to consider volunteering with. And this year, we're just going to be focusing on three things. In the future, we may expand on these three areas. We may add other options down the road. But for this year, here's the three things. Number one, if you are here and you're in a life group or really a small group of any kind, uh, I don't really care, we are asking you and encouraging you to adopt a teacher. And the way this is going to work is the teachers who are being adopted 
are teachers who uh, are part of Door Creek here at Sprecher or at North, or they're teachers uh, who are at work at Schenck Elementary School, uh, where we've been working for a number of years. And the, the nature of this adoption, kind of the goal of this adoption, is for groups to help support teachers who in turn are helping their students best succeed both inside and outside of the classroom. And I realize that's really broad, right, and kind of vague and intentionally so. And we're going to we're going to offer weekly tips to both life group people and teachers on how they can best maximize and utilize this relationship. Um, and the partnership, I, just to kind of give it some, you know, some context, could be really simple. In m- many cases, my guess is it's going to start off with like groups providing just a, some basic goods for the classroom, maybe paper or paper clips or things like that, whatever the classroom needs. But over time, that might become becoming a tutor or a writing buddy or things like that. And in all cases... We're asking groups to faithfully pray for the teacher and their kids because we believe in the power of prayer. We believe that God moves mightily through his people when his people pray by faith. And our hope is is that over time, a relationship will be built. A relationship with the life group, with the teacher, and even to the degree that it's appropriate, the kids in the classroom. And ultimately, we're hoping to see increased success for some of the most under-resourced kids throughout our county. But to make this work, here's what we need. We need life groups to step up. We need you to be willing to adopt a teacher. And I realize that you're probably just hearing about this you know, for the first time. So get with your groups, talk to each other, and say, hey, are we willing to do this? Great, awesome. And then we're, there's another side of this. We need teachers who are willing to be adopted. So if you're a teacher and you're interested, um, you can grab our brochure, which is right outside these doors at the table, and it has information on there how you go about getting in the process of being adopted. Currently, we have 15 teachers who are waiting to be adopted. So uh, you guys ready, life groups? Yeah, all right, good. Yeah, that's like four of them. That's great. So, you know, spread that out. We've got it covered. Um, all right, option number two is we are going to be partnering with Big Brothers Big Sisters. And uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters here in Dane County, we're specifically asking you to consider being a big, and that's what they call the adult mentor, a big uh, working with a little, that's what they call the kid that you get to hang out with, through their school-based program. And this is not to dissuade you from doing their community-based program, which is probably more well-known, and maybe some of you do that, and that's awesome. Uh, but their school-based one, they're working in 10 different schools, uh, and they're doing great work in all those schools. But in particular, they're doing some awesome work in Sun Prairie. And so we're asking you to consider uh, becoming a big, and when that match is made, you kind of get to speak into what that match looks like so that you get matched with a kid that you really, you know, connect with. And here's the opportunity. Here's what happens when you do that. Is your life, I promise you, is going to be changed. You will not regret this decision. You'll also have the opportunity to change the life of the kid you're working with who's facing great adversity. And this is a great opportunity for those of you who um, want to have more of a one-on-one experience. Maybe you're not part of a life group. I know there's a lot of people like that. Uh, It's a great opportunity for those of you who are couples who don't have kids yet and you just want to give it a test run. Or, this is a great opportunity for those of you who are a family and you've got little kids like myself, and family time is just like precious, right? Like you just, you don't have very much of it and you want to maximize it. And they do a thing where you can do a full family match where the little just joins you and your family with whatever you guys are doing, including, if it's okay with the little's family, to bring them to church. And you can do that as a whole family so that you continue to have that family time together, which I recognize is precious. All right, third and final option is the Literacy Network. Literacy Network exists to help low-literate adults become more literate, right? It's kind of intuitive. What's not intuitive, maybe, is that as their literacy increases, it leads to better jobs. 
It leads to higher graduation rates for their kids. And it leads to improved quality, improved quality of life for the whole family. Uh, and here's one striking statistic that they shared with us, and it's just kind of stuck in my head because I think it's so powerful. And it's this. Uh, that the average kid who's read to most nights uh, starts school on average with a vocabulary of about 2,000 words. Whereas a kid who's not read to most nights starts school with an average of about 200 words. And studies show, sadly, that those kids, again, on average, never catch up. And so by being part of the Literacy Network, you have the opportunity to work with adults instead of kids and to get at one of the root causes of the achievement gap. And that's it. That's what we're going to be promoting and funding and providing support and encouragement and training around these three initiatives. And my dream is, is that over time, we build a healthy and dynamic, excited, educated, motivated team that is working together, pointing in the same direction to work to close the achievement gap in our county to the glory of God. Now, I need to add this just really briefly too. I recognize as much as, I mean, that's awesome that you guys are clapping and it's exciting. I recognize that there's some of you that this is not your passion. And God has laid a different kind of passion on your heart. And you're involved in great work working with the least and the lost among us. And what I want to say to you is thank you. I applaud you. That is awesome for what you're doing. Thank you for doing that. And we want to support you as well. We want to help you connect with other people who share your passion. We want to help you get the word out so that at a big church like Door Creek, people can learn about other opportunities. And we're doing that through what we're calling our grassroots initiative. And so you can just grab, again, our brochure at the table where Kara's sitting, uh, the video announcement girl, and she can give you that, and you can find out more information about how we can help you with your passion. But for those of you who want to take the next step and get involved with helping close the achievement gap, here's your simple, simple next step. Take out this card, and actually literally do that right now. So take out this card for me. I just want to see. Last, like last night, everybody was like taking out their cards and waving it. It was exciting in the room. Last hour, I was like, some people I was looking right at them, and they're like, I'm not taking out my card. You guys are kind of a mix, so take out your card. I can see you. The lights are up, so take out your card. All right. Now, that's awesome. There's two waving cards. That's good. Okay, so what you, I want you to do is, if you're interested in this, check the community development box on here, and then just fill out your information. And then what the next thing that's going to happen is we're just going to set up a time to talk to you, and you can ask any questions you have, and you can get a really clear picture of exactly what we're asking of you before you sign up for anything. So by filling out this card, you're not signing up, you're just kind of taking the next step to learn more information, because if I got into all the details now, we'd be here for like four hours. It'd be very boring. Um, so fill this out, and then on your way out the doors, just drop this off at the table. That's all I'm asking of you to do. If there's other ways you want to serve, this is the card for you as well. Now, with all that, Our focus on the achievement gap really is just a strategic attempt at helping our community more fully participate in God's clear and unchanging call to do justice. And over the next few years, like I said, I hope that we become one of the most educated, the most motivated, involved people throughout the entire county who are working to close the achievement gap, again, to God's glory. And by God's grace, may we see lives changed. May we see more kids graduate high school. May we see more kids learn to love to read. May we see math scores improve. May we see the gap between racial groups and socioeconomic groups begin to close. 
And ultimately, may we see come, people come to know Christ because of the love of his people. Now, the last thing I want to tell you is I want to just be really clear about this. Doing justice is the long game. This is not about quick fixes. It's not about simple results. Many of you know this because you're in it. This is about building relationships. It's about praying. It's about taking action. It's about making mistakes. It's about apologizing. It's about evaluating. And through it all, it's about depending on God for something bigger than ourselves. And you might be wondering, if you're really listening, if you're tracking with me, you're starting to understand this is a lot of work. This is potentially a lot being asked of you. Is it worth it? Is doing justice really worth all this work? So let me leave you with these words from one of my favorite artists, Micah Borne. A lot of people see justice as the most futile thing you can do with your life. Give your life completely to business and you see the money piling up. Be a health nut, eat right, go to the gym, and your muscles will grow and your body will look good and you'll see results. But when it comes to justice, it seems like you just can't get ahead. You patch up one hole and something else rips open. You bring peace to one region and war breaks out in another. You rebuild after an earthquake and a tsunami hits. And you work and you work and you work and there's never any profit. There's no bank where you can store a surplus amount of justice in. Stability is never permanent. Something always tips and people always ask, is it even worth it? And that question Though understandable, it's, I mean, quite frankly, it's ridiculous. And it rarely comes from those who are actually tired from pursuing justice and not just tired of the idea. It rarely comes from people who've labored for years and have good reason to ask it. And you know why they never ask? Those type of people become friends with those who suffer. Family even. Because it's one thing to wonder if someone else's freedom is worth fighting for. But when you begin to identify with that someone else, commune with them, that's when the question is no longer worth asking. That's when it becomes offensive even. What do you mean is it worth my time? That doesn't even deserve an answer. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care how many times you fail. I don't care how little progress is made. You never stop fighting for your own.